Just a reminder before we start, please subscribe and review our show on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners discover the show, and frankly, it kind of makes us feel good. All right, here's the show. Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. And this is big, Rick. This is big. This is huge. This is the 100th episode of the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. Truly a milestone. And I just want to say to you, uh, congratulations. And more importantly, a big thank you uh, for our listeners. I think there may be millions of them out there. I, I, I don't know exactly. Uh, but, but thank you for listening to Powerhouse Politics. At least millions. And it's been a great ride. They said it couldn't be done, John, but we've kept it up. And uh, we're, we're, we're ready for the next hundred. Let's, let's keep the momentum going. And John, uh, a lot going on as always. The, the president's on vacation, but um, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't seem like, uh, like anything is shut down. No, I, I, well, I'll tell you, uh, I think I was with you when, when this happened, uh, the president uh, doing a nice uh, event on, on, on the opioid, opioid crisis, meeting uh, with his Health and Human Services Secretary, uh, meeting with Kellyanne Conway and some of his other uh, senior staff, when somebody asked a question about North Korea. And Rick, this, which we're about to play, certainly caught my ear, and I believe yours as well. North Korea... Best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. He has been very threatening uh, beyond a normal statement. And as I said, they will be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power, the likes of which this world has never seen before. Thank you. So, uh, Rick, <laughs> um, that was a sobering, a sobering statement from the president to hear from President Donald Trump twice uh, using the phrase fire and fury, which, by the way, is not a phrase I have heard him use before, but no. it is one that I have heard Kim Jong-un use in North Korea. Frightening, um, I, I believe, alarmed a lot of people, um, and we heard from Rex Tillerson traveling actually in the in in the region uh, come out to actually say America can sleep well at night but uh, I think that the reason why he came out to say that is a lot of people were thinking that we maybe can't that seemed like a step toward the nuclear brink on a couple levels first as you mentioned that sounded like something the North Koreans would say uh, and it seemed designed to get Kim Jong-un's attention uh, he's of course an unpredictable actor so we don't know how he responds to that there's already been threats for them to attack the US territory of Guam. Secondly, I I think he moved the red line closer to the North Korean side. He said threats are the red line, not just pursuing ICBM or using a nuclear weapon or developing a nuclear weapon that could hit the United States. He's saying the very threats themselves are what would unleash the fire and the fury. That, to me, if he backs that up and if he knew what he was saying, that means we're kind of already there. You know more threats are going to happen. Uh, and all of a sudden, a conflict with a nuclear armed power is a very real possibility. That's a way to wake you up from your August slumber. And, and let's be clear, threats from North Korea come every All the single time. day. All the time. So basically we're on the red line. We've been living on the red line uh, through 
you know, roughly the last three or four North Korean dictators. <laughs> and and I, I suppose on, on another level, John, this is the big Trump test. He is trusting his own instincts on this. And this is the guy that, that fashions himself as the master negotiator and dealmaker. And he sees this as an, an opportunity to meet aggression with aggression. A little bit of chest bumping, uh, a, a whole bunch of uh, incendiary, literally, rhetoric uh, to, to, to lob back. And he's making a calculation that the North Koreans blink. I don't know who wants to make that bet other than Donald Trump. And I think even people inside the White House have to wonder, well, he's, he's, he's sure sure of himself. We'll see where this, where this lands. I, and I think you look at it in the broader context of a president who has been struggling to find his footing here, has got the midsummer doldrums with a stalled legislative agenda, popularity rating even among Republicans down a little bit. Uh, this is a time you want to trust the president's word. And I, I think there's a lot of reasons to question the strategy right now, but we'll have to see. So we are going to be joined here shortly by Ronna McDaniel, the chairwoman of the Republican Party. Very timely interview. We certainly want to ask her her take on these uh, these words from the president of North Korea. But also, the Republican Party, Rick, uh, seems to be, um, well, I mean, I, I guess it's been in a, in, in a state of upheaval for roughly the last year and a half. Uh, but, man, I mean, we've got uh, uh, Senator Jeff Flake warning that there's a crisis of conservatism. We have uh, Mitch McConnell uh, saying that the uh, that the president has excessive expectations and it is excessive that it is extremely irritating that people talk about Congress not doing more. We have uh, candidates uh, for for office, uh, re- Republican candidates using uh, McConnell and Ryan as as basically um, <laughs> you know looking like they're running <clears throat> running against them. Right. These are Republicans running against the Republican leadership. <clears throat> we have the president lashing out. Um, at, at Republicans who have been insufficiently supportive of his agenda. This is, a, this is an interesting time to be the chair of the Republican Party. It is, and for all the dynamics that we talk about with the base softening, as you see in polls, the dynamic inside the Republican Party, Jeff Flake notwithstanding, has been to embrace Trump much more than to run from him, particularly in redder states. We have a special election coming up in Alabama, the Republican primary. There are three main candidates on the ballot on Tuesday. Each of them are trying to be more of the Trump candidate than the rest. Now, the president actually made an interesting endorsement in that one. He chose the the more establishment incumbent senator, uh, Luther Strange, over the candidate of the Freedom Caucus, over the candidate uh, who has been supported by Sean Hannity and, and Laura Ingram, and over the former chief justice of the Supreme Court here is the one who ran that very, uh, that very fiery ad uh, against his opponents. So siding with the establishment a bit, but the dynamics, as you see, play out in Arizona and Nevada uh, of, of people that are coming into this, to the party saying, I want to be more Trump than Trump himself, even as the party thrashes for an identity in this age that's, that it's being redefined. Well, and you, and you left out the, the significant fact, Rick, to be honest, sorry, but, but I mean, he also supporting the candidate that is running against the candidate endorsed by Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris's candidate. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. We'll see if Chuck uh, gives up on the president on this one. But, but what the president's involvement will be key here. He has made threats, pretty not, not so subtle threats, about getting involved in primaries against people who, who aren't that supportive of his agenda. And, of course, the Republican Party has to, has to work this out as well because you have a whole, a, a very fired-up Republican base that uh, very supportive still largely of the president and uh, concerned about the, the, the lack of, uh, of progress that we're seeing with unified control of Washington. 
And Sean Hannity, of course, uh, about as close to the president as anybody uh, in, in, in the media business. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but he went on a little bit of a, um, he said in light of the North Korean developments, he was going to go on a moratorium, you know, no Twitter, no personal attacks. He was going to, you know, kind of somber, serious moment, let, 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 let this ride out. You saw that, right? I remember that. Yeah, that's, that's, that that, was, I, yeah, sure. Yeah. That roughly lasted about, I don't know, at least several hours. <laughs> um, and, and, and Hannity, uh, tweeting this morning, and I, I love the fact that he's up so early, um, but, but tweeting this morning, uh, right at Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, no senator, you are a weak, spineless leader who does not keep his words, and you need to retire. Wow. Yeah. There you go. There you go. I, look, I, I think I think the Republican does President Party, Trump does, does President Trump share that sentiment? I I'd be curious to know that. But then he endorses, of course, the establishment candidate in Alabama. His his exact position on this, I think, is is a bit malleable. Uh, but, uh, but the way he's positioned, Senator Strange, Senator Strange, uh, the way he's positioned himself, though, I think against Congress uh, works for his base. I mean, there's there's no question. It's frustrating to the Mitch McConnell's of the world. But uh, the, the Congress, uh, Congress's numbers are historically awful. And the president, the, the president is making clear that uh, his own brand uh, would carry the day. All right. And that is a perfect segue, Rick. You're good at this. You've done this before. We are joined times. right now by Ronna McDaniel the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee uh, from the great state of Michigan. Chairwoman McDonald, McDaniel, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Um, we we want to start, obviously, a lot to talk about uh, in, in, in the world of politics, but, but first I wanted to get your take. Maybe you can help us understand what was going on. When, when the president comes out and he's asked about North Korea and he says they're they will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. Uh, did, did that that concern you to hear the president of the United States seeming to invoke the possibility of nuclear war um, in, in, in the face of threats uh, from, from North Korea, which obviously come virtually uh, every day? Well, when you look at Kim Jong-un and the threats that he is making, saying he's going to attack the United States, uh, now that we're seeing that he's further along in his uh, nuclear program than we expected, he's had successful ICBM tests. Um, Clearly, he was much further along than the Obama administration had expected. Uh, President Trump is saying if you attack the United States, if you attack our allies, there will be consequences. But at the same time, the overall strategy of the Trump administration and Secretary Tillerson addressed this today is they are having diplomatic back channels. They are talking to China and Russia and North Korea. Uh, We saw on Saturday uh, Ambassador Haley go to the United Nations. Fifteen countries unanimously put sanctions on North Korea, including China and Russia. So I think we're doing all the things that we need to do, but North Korea needs to know that United States will not accept any nuclear threat to us or our allies. But the, the president seemed to be saying that he would take military action, uh, I mean, incredibly powerful, uh, fire and fury style military action in the face of continued threats from North Korea. Did he not mean that? Is, I he, think is, he, is, he, is he willing to attack North Korea for, uh, you know, in, in the face of threats? I'm not going to speak for the Trump administration and their uh, their policy with regards to North Korea. I think that's uh, obviously up to our military leaders and the president. But I will say 
if North Korea launches launch nuclear missiles at the United States, that's something we should be taking seriously and, and pushing back on. And and what you saw with President Obama is to use diplomacy. Uh, they clearly underestimated the global threat that North Korea was posing to the world uh, and the global community. Their their uh, diplomacy was not working. So North Korea needs to understand that the United States is taking this set threat seriously and we're going to act. And Rex Tillerson said today, the president has to use that type of language to get the attention of Kim Jong-un, who who we know is an unstable leader. I mean, look at what he does to his own people. He tortures them. Look what he just did to Otto Wambier. And look at the threats he's making daily to the United States of America through his rhetoric. Madam Chairwoman, I want to I want to ask you about uh, a, another uh, another thing in the news this week. Uh, we heard from the Senate Majority Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, a couple of days ago, frustrated back in his home state of Kentucky that the president had been setting expectations unrealistically high for Congress, some artificial deadlines. Is Mitch McConnell right? Are are the deadlines that have been set artificial, and and are the goals the president set just not realistic uh, in terms of what's achievable given the narrow majority in Congress? Well, I, I think that the, the expectations are coming from the American people. And I think there was, uh, this was a change election. I think the American people said to Washington, we need you to work harder and faster on our behalf. I mean, Obamacare is failing at a rapid clip. It's, it's failing more quickly than people expected. When you have insurers pulling out of marketplaces, you have a, a lot of states uh, next year that will either have one insurer or no insurer. So what does that mean for the average person? It means their premiums are going to be even higher. It means their access to health care will be less. Uh, you've seen people lose their doctors, their health care plans. I mean, Congress has to move fast because this is failing quickly. Um, and I think the president is right to say, I'm, I'm going to speak on behalf of the American people. Uh, the status quo isn't going to work here. We need quick resolution on something that's that's hurting the American people. So when you say that the, the president is right to set these expectations, these, the, of course, this is a dynamic that's coursing through Republican Party veins in a bunch of primaries. Just in the last couple of days, we had a, a new challenger on the on the conservative side uh, saying he'll be more of a, of a pro-Trump candidate in Nevada. There's noise about similar dynamic playing out uh, in Arizona as well. Uh, how do you, as the, as the chair of the party, navigate this? I know you have very particular uh, rules about endorsing incumbents or not endorsing incumbents, but is there, is there a part of you that says maybe the party is better served by having candidates and potentially senators and congressmen who will be more supportive of the Trump agenda than current people in office? Well, we don't get involved in primaries, and I always think the party is better served by following the will of the voters. So the voters determine who's best to represent them, um, and, and that's done in primaries, robust primaries, like we just had for our presidential nomination. And, and the party's always laying the groundwork towards the general. And, and I think we come in in the end and we try to heal rifts that happen naturally through um, contentious primaries in different states. But we're always putting the landscape and the infrastructure in place towards how we're going to win in November. Because at the end of the day, I'm always going to rather have a Republican uh, than a Democrat who's going to vote for Chuck Schumer to be Senate Majority Leader or Nancy Pelosi to be a uh, speaker. So, uh, but at the end of the day, it's the voters who are going to make that decision. And I think it's, it's beneficial for the RNC to stay neutral. And if you want to look at what happens when a party does put their thumb on the scale, you look at the Democrat Party and where they are right now with Bernie Sanders and their obvious preference for Hillary Clinton uh, during the last presidential. It's caused a huge rift within their party. Well, can, can I just... Uh button down something you said to, to Rick. Rick asked you about McConnell's comments. McCon McConnell 
quite specifically expressed frustration with the president for having excessive expectations. So just to be clear, McConnell was wrong in that. You disagree with McConnell. You disagree with McConnell that the president has excessive expectations. Senator McConnell is certainly allowed to have his opinion. I'm just saying I think the president's expectations... Uh, yeah, the president's ex- expectations mirror what I'm hearing from the American people as I tra- travel the country. I mean, they're they're looking at Washington as broken. They're saying, why can't you get things done quickly? This is failing. You need to work harder on this. And, and, and don't say this is just good enough and leave it on the table. We've got to come back over and over again because health care is not getting any better. Obamacare is not getting any better. So saying this is as good as we can do just isn't acceptable when so, people's premiums are going up and deductibles are so high and insurers are pulling out of the marketplace. And 2018 is going to be catastrophic for a lot of uh, states across this country. So is, is it appropriate for the American people to be expressing that anger, that frustration with the Republican leadership in Congress. Obviously, it is the Republicans that control Congress. And we, we heard from Sean Hannity, we know where he's expressing his frustration. This morning, he tweeted directly at McConnell saying, you are a weak, spineless leader who does not keep his word. You need to retire. Is, 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 that, is that an appropriate level of frustration with the, uh, with the leader of the Republican Party in the Senate? I think the frustration should be more aimed at Democrats who've obstructed and sat on the sidelines, especially on the Obamacare issue when it's something that they put in place and clearly didn't seek bipartisan support as they passed a major health care overhaul. And now it's failing and they've decided we're going to make a political calculation and not be part of the conversation because we hope Republicans fail. This isn't something where it's about Republicans and Democrats. It's about the American people. Um, on the flip side, you did see 217 House Republicans vote for the repeal and replace, and you did see 49 Senate Republicans vote for that, too. So uh, my job as party chair right now is looking at 2018 and recognizing we can expand that map. We can add to our majorities, especially on the Senate side. Uh, and we need to bring reinforcements in because uh, we have to get it done. And the margins are tough, uh, but not getting it done is, isn't an option right now. Uh, Madam Chairwoman, the, the, you mentioned health care and also your travels around the country. And, and it, obviously there was a big disappointment for Republicans to not get health care through. There was reporting by CNN earlier this week that some $2 million in promised donations to the NRSC did not materialize specifically because donors said, we didn't see progress on health care. We're not going to keep our, our the money flowing, the checks flowing, until we see that progress. Are you feeling that? Are you hearing from your donors that frustration that unless you start delivering on the big priorities, you know what, maybe we're just going to park our money back in our back in our pockets? You know, at the RNC, our, our fundraising has been at record high, so we haven't seen it in the donation side of it yet. But I will say it is certainly something I'm hearing from the grassroots and the donors, which is you made these promises, you need to deliver and as a party chair, candidly, it is hard to go and make the case, give us the majority again when um, we haven't accomplished the things that we ran on. So we are going to have to have some accomplishments uh, based on the 2016 promises that were made on repeal and replace, on tax reform, on infrastructure. We're going to have to have some combination of success in those three areas because we have to have something to show to the American people that we got things done. So. I said this during the repeal and replace discussion. It's not just a vote on repeal and replace. It's a vote on can we govern when given the majority. And so that's what the American people are looking at right now. And I do hear it from our donors. And there is frustration. I've expressed that to our leadership. 
um, it's a concern of mine because um, we can't campaign on things and then not deliver and then expect to be returned to the majority. So there was a story in the New York Times this week that uh, uh, drew some fire and fury from from the White House and from the vice president's office specifically about Republicans preparing for the possibility of running in 2020, uh, presumably if Donald Trump decides not to run or is not in a position to run. Um, Obviously, uh, 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 Mike Pence took great issue with the description of him and his staff as as preparing uh, for for a possible run, but let, let me ask you: I mean, you're 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 the head of the Republican Party. You don't take positions in primaries. Um, if we were to to, to see a, a a situation where Republicans, maybe a John Kasich or, or others, step forward to challenge uh, Donald Trump uh, for for the Republican nomination, will the RNC be hosting or sponsoring debates, uh, sanctioning debates? Um, what 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 would the what will the RNC be doing in a situation like that? Well, I, I, I we'll have to get to that situation if it happens. I don't foresee anybody <laughs> running against our incumbent president, who's added a million jobs to the economy, whose our unemployment uh, level is the lowest it's been in 16 years. Consumer confidence is at an all-time high. I mean, I just don't or a 16-year high. I don't see anybody running against the incumbent president cool of the Republican that, Party. That- yeah, I mean, his approval rating is also in the mid-30s, to be fair. I mean, he, 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 and, and, and it's and not much different than the day he got elected. I mean, it's they're not that far off from Election Day. I mean, and, and the approval ratings really weren't an indicator on Election Day. I mean, if we looked at the polls on November 8th, they all said that Donald Trump was going to lose. In my home state of Michigan, I mean, the, the local paper declared it for Hillary Clinton the second the polls closed on Election Day. I mean, they were wrong um, on many different levels. So I think it's we're way far out to talk about 2020. I do not think anybody should be even considering running against this president. And I think Vice President Pence rightly um, was offended by that article because it questioned his integrity and his character, which is something he holds very dear. And, and he is a man of great integrity and character. And he has been a partner with this president every step of the way and is in no way setting up any type of shadow campaign or looking for an opportunity to run against this president or looking for an opening on the front. He is totally committed to serving President Trump and the American people. But it could be someone else. I mean, to your point, you, you can't really decide now on on debates unless you know what the field is. But you, you're, you don't think anyone jumps in against him in a, in a Republican primary? Seriously? You think that's the, that's not going to happen? I, I don't. I mean, maybe they do an independent run or something like that. I just can't imagine uh, thinking that the the party would go against incumbent president. I, I just don't think that would happen. Are you concerned so, at all by the polls that we've seen, uh, not just approval ratings, but the trust that, that the American people have or don't have in the president? Something like a quarter of Americans saying that they trust the information that comes from the White House, that comes from the president. Uh, we've seen it's been well-documented areas where they have misstated facts or stretched truths. Uh, do, does that concern you as you try to communicate a message if people just don't trust what the president's saying? More than anything, it just doesn't gel with what I'm seeing. And, uh, you know, I was in Colorado last week, and I've been in Nevada and Texas. I I travel the country uh, at a pretty regular clip, and it's just not in line with what I see. And and in Michigan, all the time people come up and they say, we're so thrilled with President Trump. Keep 
tell him to keep up the good work. So it, it's just not in line with what I see. I do think there is a distrust of Washington in general. Um, we know that the media is at a high distrust level. We saw the Harvard-Harris poll with uh, 65% of people distrusting the media. Um, I think as long as you're putting good policy in place and you're helping the American people, you shouldn't be worrying about uh, polls uh, that I, I haven't been accurate in the past year or so. Well, we've certainly seen distrust on the part of key figures in the Republican Party, distrust of the president. Obviously, Jeff Flake has got his book out talking about a crisis of conservatism, a crisis that he blames in, in, in part on the president himself. And John McCain, in an interview just yesterday, uh, said there's a, fr- and this is a direct quote, there's a frustration out there, but I think there's an issue of the truth. And the question was asked, does he, the president, not tell the truth? And McCain said flatly on some issues, it is clear he doesn't. So is McCain right about that? Are there issues where the president clearly does not tell the truth? I haven't seen that with my dealings with the president. I've always found him to be truthful and honest. I think uh, where we saw mistruths being told to the American people are things like the Affordable Air Care Act, which has been completely unaffordable when you were told you could keep your doctor and you couldn't. I mean, there seems to be this hyper-focus on everything President Trump says and, and a lack of looking back at the Obama administration and where they were, were obviously uh, misleading to the American public on major policy issues. And, and so uh, I'm looking at what's happening with North Korea. They missed it. You look at Syria. They, they trusted Russia to remove chemical weapons from Syria. They clearly didn't. I mean, where is the, the hindsight of looking at the Obama administration and, and some of the things that they were dishonest about with the American people? President Trump has not shown anything like that in his administration. Before we let you go, Madam Chairwoman, you've been very generous with your time here on our 100th episode. A big celebration for us. We appreciate that. Uh, Congratulations. I, thank you. Thank you. Thank it's a you. Lot of fun. Thank you. Uh, there was a report out in, in Vice uh, just yesterday that uh, talked about uh, what some people have called a propaganda folder of information, positive news clips that get to the president's desk. Whatever it's called, we know that, that, that clips are, are part of the process. But the, the story reported that the process actually starts at the RNC war room. Can you give us any insight into how that works, the, the clip collection and how it ends up on the president's desk? Yeah, I don't know what the process is to get into the president's desk, but we the RNC had a war room that was since President Bush, where we actually used to physically clip out articles and paste them onto paper, and 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 we uh, have a war room that looks at positive and negative articles, so you can get a a, shot, a snapshot of what's happening in the news that day. Um, it's it's extensive. I get those articles every day, and it gives you a good overview of what's happening on the news front. Um, I I can't speak to the process at the White House and what ends up on the president's desk. So um, before you go, there is one more question I've got. You are Michigan, Michigan Republican Party. Um, I got to ask you about the Senate race. Uh, Kid Rock (laughs) is, 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 could, could we see Kid Rock? As a, as a Republican candidate for, for Senate from Michigan? Is that the kind of candidate that you could see the Republican Party in Michigan rallying around? Uh, you know, I always say if, if Kid Rock runs, donations will be sent to Bawa to Blaine. I mean, I'm a big Kid Rock fan, um, and I'll tell you why. And if people not who aren't from Michigan don't understand how much he's given back to the community of Michigan. It, you know, he's one of those people who succeeded and stayed in the state and always has given back to the community and, and championed not just Michigan but Detroit. 
Uh, I don't think he's going to run. Um, that's just me speaking. I haven't I haven't had a conversation with him, but he certainly is somebody who represents um, a lot of, of voices in Michigan, and we'll see how that plays out. There are really good candidates on the Republican side. There's three announced candidates right now. And I think Debbie Stabenow is very vulnerable in a midterm election. Um, and you're seeing a shift in these Midwest states and President Trump winning uh, presidentially. And then to go into a midterm when Michigan is typically red, she should have cause for concern. All right. Ronna McDaniel, we really appreciate you having on your, your debut appearance on the Powerhouse Politics <laughs> podcast. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, Rick, I guess I guess we can... Scratch Kid Rock off. Yeah, the wow. Like, yeah, well. Maybe a little news there. A Kid Rock yeah. fan says he's not going to run. Let me let me just it's, mention something about uh, Chairwoman McDaniel, and I think you know, it's a tough job being a, an RNC chair. She took over for Reince yes. Priebus over there. Uh, the one thing that I've heard from Republicans is the, the the sort of calming sense that she brings because, uh, frankly, her name is a part of this. Uh, she is her maiden name is Romney. Romney. She's she's one of Mitt Romney's nieces, uh, and so there's a sense that she is able to unite these warring wings of the party, the more establishment Romney-esque, maybe even Bush-esque wing of the party, along with the Trump wing, because she was a state co-chair for Trump and is now installed as as RNC chair, and she has a very unassuming manner and a uh, kind of down-to-earth style that uh, that goes over quite well. And she's, she seems like a real person who is out there to, to channel a lot of the things that uh, that you hear on the ground from, from Trump supporters. But she's also, I mean, she is all in on Donald Trump. Oh, sure. Expect, yeah. the, 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 the chairperson of the party. But um, I thought it was interesting on the uh, the question of, 2020 Republicans, you know, Republicans thinking about possibly running. She basically said that Republicans shouldn't even be thinking about the possibility of running for president in 2020. Any Republican, of course, besides Donald J. Trump. Yeah, yeah, and and look, I I, I think if you're going to be RNC chair under under Donald J. Trump, you kind of have to say that, and uh, whether or yeah. not you actually believe it. I think though the point she makes about a possible independent candidacy from a Republican is real. Does someone want to do the full frontal Republican assault uh, and try to to win through the front door, or think there's another avenue? Maybe that's the Kasich path, as you mentioned. I still think it's likely that there's um, at least one uh, real primary challenger to to president trump uh and and that she will be faced with that question of sanctioning debates uh that's something that the parties decided both sides decided to do last cycle to try to wrangle things they may regret that decision because that's a very hard decision uh, that has to be done in coordination with the sitting president even though you're supposed to be ostensibly neutral in party primaries it's really hard to do when it's the white house involved so, so Rick, but before we, we check out for the week, I just want to reflect back. A hundred episodes of Powerhouse Politics. We we crunched some numbers. I don't have them uh, in front of me right now, but I but I believe that we looked at some of the predictions, and I think that I was right about three times more often than you were, um, roughly. Um, but uh, but it's been it's been a, it's been a roughly. good hundred episodes. We uh, I you know the, the founder of this podcast. He's kind of on on the Mount Rushmore of, of podcast. Ryan Kessler. We should we should thank for for coming up with this idea in the first place. And then, of course, our chief executive senior uh, producer, uh, David Rind, uh, who has helped us uh, put this together uh, week to week, uh, Avery Miller, Angie Yak. We got, it, it, takes, it takes a Trevor village Hastings, to put this yeah. thing together. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's, uh, there, there are, there are, there's an, there are, as you can imagine, I'm sure our listeners can appreciate, there are an army of people 
uh, behind putting out this this incredibly ambitious uh, podcast every week, Rick. And, and as you know, John, a lot of people said that you'd never make it to 100. I mean, th- this was <laughs> that was a real open question when when we started whether you know whether well whether we sat at 99 for for several days. <laughs> um, you know. But, On, uh, but it's been good. Onward to 200. Uh, we're both uh, we're both off next week. We'll, we'll leave the podcast in uh, in very able hands for the next episode. Uh, and something tells me there'll still be news for us to talk about on on the way on, on the other side. But this has been it's been a great ride for us. And just to speak for myself, it's the most fun I have every week is doing this podcast. So we really really appreciate you listening. All right, thank you very much. We'll talk to you if not next week, the week after.